Then Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to, the Lord, uh, to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. This is quite a remarkable story. And it is a great, great factual story in which we could uh, study from concerning how one is converted to the gospel of Christ. And I know I'm speaking to most of you tonight who has obeyed the gospel. But perhaps, perhaps there is one here who has never been uh, baptized and has obeyed the gospel. And... It's, if that's the case, we, we offer this sermon to you so that you may know how to. But those of us who have been converted, we may have a remembrance by which the biblical example is of how one is saved and how one is not saved according to the pattern. So what we're going to do, you, you see three references on the board there this evening, and we're going to jump back and forth to these passages and get an overall picture of what's going on here because Luke does not record everything here in Acts chapter 9. We're going to get the entire picture as we study these things tonight then make some applications later on. 
When we are first introduced to Saul in the book of Acts, we find that he is right in the middle of witnessing and partaking in the stoning of Stephen at the end of Acts chapter 7. And those who witnessed the stoning laid their coats at the feet of Saul as he consented in the death of, the, of this disciple of the Lord, Stephen. But this is not the only thing that we find out about this man named Saul. We find that this was his course at this time of his life. He went around persecuting the church by casting uh, people of the church into prison. We find this is just the case as we find over in Acts chapter 8 verse 3 where the Bible says there, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And in the very next chapter, which we've already seen already tonight, in the first two verses there, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so this is what we find Saul uh, doing. He is going around persecuting the church and causing great havoc, as Luke records here. But you know what? We most know this man as the Apostle Paul. It's the same individual. He became the Apostle Paul, and he became a great worker for the Lord, and he aided in establishing many churches throughout many regions of the world. And because of his service, we have copies of his letters to many churches and to also various individuals as they are found here in what we call the New Testament. But though... The question remains tonight, how can a man who persecuted the church so much make such a change in his life to live a life totally devoted for the Lord? What made that change? Well, that points us to this area here of which we are about to study tonight. And there are three accounts, as I said. There is Acts 9, verses 1 through 19, where this, uh, Luke describes the events as they happen here. There is also the second account in this, in this book, chapter 22, verses 6 through 16, where Paul recounts his conversion before a large crowd, contextually speaking. And then the third account is found in Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. And in this context, this is where Paul is defending himself before King Agrippa, at that particular time, and he reaccount uh, and he retells of his conversion before King Agrippa. Now, from the example of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, we find strong evidence concerning the nature of conversions as they uh, as they happen throughout the Book of Acts. For example, how was Saul saved, or, or pardon me, when was Saul saved? This is a question that rises up. Was he saved on the road to Damascus when the Lord appeared to him? Or was he saved sometime in Damascus after he arrived there? Keep that question in mind as we progress through, through this story here. The second question that may arise is that uh, how was Saul saved? Was it by saying a sinner's prayer? Or was it by some other way that Saul was saved? We'll keep these in mind as we progress through these things because such questions can be answered by a careful consideration of biblical evidence. And so let us begin with the review 
of the evidence that is provided by all three accounts of Saul's conversion here. As our story begins, we find that Saul was on his way to Damascus in order that he may persecute more Christians for their belief in Jesus as being the Messiah that had come to this world to save man from their sins. He had received authority on this occasion to take the believers and bind them so that he would cast them into prison in Jerusalem and there they would be punished because of their practice for Christianity. And so this was his course as he was going there to Damascus and on, and on his way the Bible says that something incredible happened to him. It says that a light suddenly shone around him from heaven. Now I want you to listen to the description that Paul gives about this light that shone around him. This account is found over in the 26th chapter in verses 12 and 13. And he's telling these things to King Agrippa and listen to what Paul says about this light. He says, verse 12, While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. You know, this is quite a description that Paul gives here. He says, this happened at midday. And yet this light at midday was brighter than the sun. Could you imagine that? I mean, they tell us we are not supposed to look at the sun because it's, it'll hurt our vision. That's how bright the sun is. But imagine this light shining from heaven being brighter than the sun. Well, it happened. It happened as Paul was telling King Agrippa this. It happened at midday. And so as this light had shone from heaven, a voice began to speak to Saul in the Hebrew language, as uh, Luke records. And it was the voice of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So it is, after being alarmed by this voice, Saul asked, Why, uh, or, uh, Who are you, Lord? And it is then that the voice identifies himself as Jesus, and it was him who Saul was persecuting. And so it is now that Jesus tells Saul the reason why he had come to him on the way to Damascus. And Luke, do, uh, uh, Luke doesn't record this in chapter 9, but he records this over in chapter 26. Again, there are verse 16 about the reason why Jesus came to Saul. He said, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. So what is his purpose now? He continues on and says this, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is the purpose for Jesus appearing to Saul. He had a mission and he wanted Saul to carry out these things. And this is remarkable to me because Saul had caused so much damage to the bride of Christ. And yet, what does he tell him? What does Jesus tell him? 
He tells him that he wants Saul to be a minister and witness for Christ. And this is amazing to me. He wants Saul to open the eyes of the Jews and Gentiles by proclaiming the same gospel by which he had persecuted, uh, persecuted the church for. He's turning that coin around. And so this was the purpose that Jesus had in mind for Saul. And because of that, listen to Saul's reaction now. As we find back over in, in the ninth chapter, be, the beginning there of verse 6. He says, so he trembling and astonished, and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I believe it is at this point that Saul is willing to do what the Lord wills for him to do. And this is the turning point, the time of repentance for Saul here. Because he is now replacing his will for God's will is what he's doing. And that's what repentance is all about. He is ready to change his life so that he may serve the Lord just as Jesus had wanted him to. And so Jesus then tells Saul what he must do next. And late, uh, in the latter part of verse 6 of chapter 9, Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Along the same lines over in chapter 22, the latter part of verse 10, the Bible says there, And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And so upon these instructions by Jesus now, after Saul is asking him, What, uh, what do you want me to do now? We find that Saul was now to go to Damascus, and once he was there, he will then receive further instructions about what he must do. And so after, after Saul had seen uh, this vision from the Lord, the Bible says that he is found to, be, uh, to have been blinded from the light that had shone from heaven. And so because of that, the ones that were with him helped aid Saul to Damascus, to Damascus by leading him by the hand to that city. And so they finally arrive into the city, and while he is there waiting for further instructions, Luke says he did not eat or drink anything for three solid days. And so this, is, this, and so this sort of ends the scene now with Saul temporarily. We find him eating, uh, eating nothing and drinking nothing for three days. Now the scene changes. While he is there in Damascus, Luke brings our attention to another man in that city. His name is Ananias. Ananias is found to be a disciple of the Lord, and he was there in the city of Damascus. But just as Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, he appeared to Ananias as well concerning Saul. And I want you to listen to what the Lord tells him on this occasion as we go back to Acts chapter 9, beginning there verse number 10. It says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to, the house, uh, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Now, Ananias knew about this man, Saul of Tarsus. And I, I could just imagine being in Ananias' shoes at that very moment. 
Because Ananias had heard these things. And Jesus is telling him, you go and you speak to him. And he's blinded and he needs to have his, his sight received. And I want you to listen to his reply to the Lord. In verse 13, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He's saying, you must have this guy mixed up. This guy's no good. He's done a lot of harm to the church. And you want me to go talk to him? You want me to, re to, to give him his sight back? Well, what does the Lord say to him? Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. You go. Why? For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, who could argue with that? Who can argue with the Lord just saying, I don't care. You go anyway. Because he's a chosen vessel of mine. Is Ananias going to argue with Jesus about that? Well, no, he didn't. He went. The Bible says he went. And so Ananias arrived at the house, and he laid his hands on Saul. And he said to him in verse, the latter part of verse 17, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And so we find, first of all, that Saul receives his sight back from Ananias after he has laid his hands on him. Now, there is one thing that I want to point out just in passing, and I'll just give you this for free. When Ananias laid his hands on Saul, Saul did not receive, I, I do not believe, that he received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit at this time. He just received his sight at that time because we only find that the apostles were able to pass on this gift. Only the apostles and not other disciples of the Lord. So that, just keep that in mind as we go through these things. But though, after, after, he, uh, after he does this, Ananias has some more news for Saul. He is now going to tell him why the Lord had appeared to him. And this is found over in chapter 22 now, in beginning of verse 14. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And so it is here that Ananias reveals that Saul had been chosen by God to know his will and then, and then to spread that very will. And Saul would be a witness to all men concerning the power of Jesus and his message. Now remember what Jesus had told Saul on the road to Damascus here. He told him to go to the city and it would be revealed to him what he must do. And so what does he have to do now? He hasn't done anything yet. All he's done is just He's prayed that we know of and that he's fasted. He didn't eat or drink anything for three days. Well, here are the instructions by Ananias giving, uh, given uh, to Saul here. 
Acts 22 and 16, a passage which we are very familiar with. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Call and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, the action that had to be taken for Saul was to obey the gospel. That's the action that had to be taken. He had to be baptized so that his sins would be washed away and it would then put him into the body of Christ. Well, does Saul obey it? Well, of course he does because at the end of chapter 9, verse 18, it says, and he arose and was baptized. He obeyed Ananias' uh, instructions so that he could be saved. And so, with this conversion complete, and having received his vision again, Saul loses no time in working for the Lord. And this is remarkable to me about how quick Saul reacts to his conversion. The Bible says that he immediately preached Christ in the synagogues. And what a change this man made. He came to this city in hopes to persecute the Christians because of their belief in the Son of God. But, it is now, but, but he is now preaching that same gospel that they believe. And he not only preached in Damascus right away, but he spread the gospel of Christ throughout several reasons, uh, regions. And listen to Paul's words as he's telling these things to King Agrippa about the great zeal that he had after he had been converted to the, to the gospel of Christ. He says over in Acts 26, beginning in 19, he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that why? That they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. That's why. He was motivated because he had been saved. That's why. He did not lose any time. And it is no doubt that the conversion of Saul is such a powerful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ because what other reasonable explanation can be given for the drastic change from him being the chief persecutor of the Christian faith to being the chief proclamator of the Christian faith? Well, the conversion of Saul is also valuable for the insights that we can gather concerning the process of conversion. And with that in mind, I want to now make some observations about what we have just seen through these three accounts. The first observation I would like to make is when Saul was saved. Now, the reason why I want to make this observation is because there is a misconception by some who believe that Saul was saved while he was there on the road to Damascus as he was receiving this vision. There are people that believe this today. And they say that at that very moment that Saul had received the vision from the Lord, he had then been converted and thus he was saved at that very moment. And some people like to use this argument in order to say that, that people who receive visions today are saved because of that particular experience in their life. Now, there is one thing that we need to understand concerning people receiving visions and people having these type of experiences today. You've got to be careful with these types of people because you cannot deny what they've seen or what they've heard. 
But though, we can teach them the truth concerning what the Bible says about people receiving visions or having some type of experience today. When people receive visions or so-called visions or some, or some experience that they have, they, uh, uh, or rather, uh, we know two things. Number one, they are not receiving further revelation from the Lord today. The reason why they are not is because we already have the complete revelation of the Lord. We have a written down. We know what we need to do. We know what we must do to be saved. And we do not need visions from the Lord so that we can be saved. We don't need visions from the Lord in order to tell us what to do or how to change our lives. And secondly, we find that God is no respecter of persons anyway. Why would he appear to one man and not appear to another man? Why? It doesn't make any sense. The Bible, uh, the Bible uh, perfectly teaches that God is no respecter of any persons. And so, let us now notice when Saul was saved, though. In this vision that Saul had received from the Lord, I want you to notice what Jesus told him. He told him to go to Damascus, and it would be told to him what he must do. Acts 9, verse 6. Now notice this. In these instructions by the Lord to Saul here, Jesus did not tell him at that very time that he had been saved. He did not say that. Neither did he tell them that his sins had been washed away at that very moment in that vision. He did not say that either. He just simply told him that there was something else that he needed to do. There was something else. So what does Saul do? Well, he went to Damascus, and Ananias came to him, and listened to what he tells Saul to do in order to be saved. He told him to wash away his sins. Acts 22 and 16. Now, from this phrase, we can imply something. We can imply, or it implies, rather we infer, which it implies that Saul was still in his sins when he arrived there in Damascus. He was still in his sins. Uh, now, why would Ananias tell him to wash away his sins if Jesus had saved him on the road to Damascus anyway? It doesn't make any sense. The truth is, Jesus did not save him in this vision. And so we can conclude that Saul was not saved because of receiving this vision from the Lord. His sins were not washed away. He was not a child of God at that time. And so that brings us to our second observation now. How was he saved then? How was he saved? Well, from the statement of Ananias there in Acts 22 and 16 to wash away his sins, we learn a couple things. We learn, number one, that Saul was not saved by way of the vision on the road to Damascus. And we also find that Saul was not saved by way of prayers and by fasting that he had offered for three days. As we find in Acts 9, verse 9 and 11. He had been praying, but his prayers did not save him. Now, we don't know what he was praying for, but we know his prayers did not save him. And so, Saul was saved when his sins were washed away, Acts 22 and 16. And this occurred 
after spending three days in Damascus. And this occurred when he was baptized to wash away his sins. This goes along with what Peter wrote concerning the purpose of baptism over in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, where it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we can see how Saul had been saved. It was not by the vision. It was not by his fasting. It was not through the prayers that he offered there while he was in Damascus. But it was through the act of baptism that Saul was saved. And so from the conversion of Saul, we learn that one is not saved by visions of the Lord. In fact, when you come to think of it, who can have a more impressive vision than Saul? After all, this light that shone from heaven at midday was brighter than the sun. Who can have a more impressive vision than Saul? Yet he still wasn't saved. And yet people claim to have visions today, which we cannot really see any evidence of, and they claim to be saved from those things. It makes you think. But we learned that people are not saved from visions of the Lord, and people are not saved from prayer either. After all, he had been praying while there in Damascus. And in keeping what we have seen already, one is saved when, number one, they are baptized for the remission of their sins, Acts 2 and 38. And secondly, they are baptized to have their sins washed away, Acts 22 and 16. Now, of course, we learn from Paul's discourse over in Romans chapter 6 that the simple act of baptism is efficient because in baptism, several things happen. Number one, as we find in verses 3 and 4, we are baptized into Christ's death. Secondly, we find that we are united with Christ in the likeness of his death while we are there buried, being totally submerged in the water. That is found in verse number 5 of Romans 6. Thirdly, when we are, we are also crucified with Christ through baptism and our body of sin is done away with at that very moment. It has been circumcised away from us. It is removed from us. And then fourthly, we die to sin and then we are therefore freed from sin through this entire process of baptism and we rise up out of that water, a new man, a new creature. We have been resurrected into a new life. Just as the lack figure that Christ was resurrected from the dead, we are then resurrected having a new life in Christ Jesus. And that's what baptism accomplishes. And our sins are washed away through all that. And so we say at this very moment, as did Ananias, to anyone who has yet to be baptized for the remission of your sins, we're going to ask you this question right now. As we offer the invitation. Acts 22 and 16. And now why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? Arise. And be baptized. And wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord.
We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.